Is your money working as hard as it could be for your future? A decade ago, Robinhood changed the investment landscape when they pioneered commission-free stock trading. Today, they continue to offer innovative products to help users build a better financial future, like IRAs, ETFs, options for qualified traders, and much more. Take control of your financial future with Robinhood. Download the app or visit Robinhood.com to learn more. That's Robinhood.com. Disclosures. Investing involves risk. Other fees may apply. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIP. PC is a registered broker dealer. Good morning, Brew Daily Show. I am Neil Fryman. And I'm Toby Howell. Today on the pod, AI might have better bedside manner than your doctor. And Toby and I will choose our winners of this past weekend. Then, Neil, could the banking crisis be over? We'll see when we talk about First Republic Bank and its new owner. Then we'll head to the red carpet to give you the lowdown on this year's Met Gala. It's Monday, May 1st. Let's ride. All right, Toby, uh, we are all anxious to hear about how your triathlon went in Florida this weekend. It went swimmingly, and by swimmingly, I meant I actually didn't swim. It turned into a duathlon or a biathlon because uh, they canceled the swim portion of the event because the waves were too big. So it was really fun still. It was run, bike, run, so not a true triathlon, but I had a good time competed well you beat your family which is the most important i beat my brother i beat my cousins which was the most important part uh i also got taken to the medical tent after because i suffered a little heat exhaustion but that's florida for you not to one-up you but i kind of did a peloton ride (laughs) the wind the wind was ferocious outside i was looking out a window and it looked bad but i was nice and dry next year you're coming down and and doing the job i will with me um okay let's get into the news neil It's kind of the end of a mini era. Uh, The banking crisis has reached a little bit of a conclusion after J.P. Morgan Chase agreed to acquire First Republic Bank in a deal facilitated by banking regulators early this morning. So let's do a quick recap on how we got to this point. First Republic Bank ran into many of the same issues as Silicon Valley Bank. Its balance sheet got all kinds of messed up uh, by the rise of interest rates, which caused depositors to get a little spooked and start withdrawing their money. So everyone knew that customers would probably withdraw some of their money in the wake of SVB, but we really didn't know how much money they were going to withdraw until First Republic Bank's earnings call last week. Turns out it was a lot. Customers withdrew more than half of FRC's total deposits, which is not a real sustainable way to run Mm -hmm. a bank. So that's when the FDIC started getting a little nervous, started looking over FRC's shoulder, not really liking what they saw. And so then they kind of started knocking on the doors of big banks saying like, hey, anyone want to buy a bank? And so a lot of the biggest banks like PNC, Bank of America, basically said like, I'm good because First Republic Bank was a little bit of an ugly asset. Its balance sheet, again, like I said, was a bit of a mess. But early this morning, J.P. Morgan stepped up as the knight in shining armor to make sure that the bank didn't go into FDIC receivership um, for more than a brief moment. So, yeah. Neil, what do you make of all this? Banking crisis over? Is, we, it, is it truly the end of an era can, or not? We can debate whether it's the knight in shining armor or just uh, opportunists a little bit later. But I just kind of want to establish that this is bigger failure than SVB. Yeah, It is the second largest in history after Washington Mutual and the third bank failure in the last eight weeks, I think. So uh, not great, but if you if a bank fails, this is kind of how you want it to happen and not what happened to SVB, where they had to protect all of the deposits above $250,000 that mm-hmm. were not insured and to find a buyer that could kind of absorb all of the deposits that were left. <laughs> there weren't that many. There were $92 billion in de- deposits left at First Republic Bank and for J.P. Morgan, 
a big bank that is very comfortable financially can come in and say, okay, we'll take all of your deposits. You, you don't have to worry about anything. That is a huge relief. And, you know, I don't think markets are really reacting much to the news because of that. Right. It actually was very interesting because uh, First Citizens Bank is the one who kind of picked up the scraps of SVB and their shares went skyrocketing when they broke the news. They went up 55%. JP Morgan's obviously a much, much bigger bank, but their shares are basically like unchanged on this news. They were up a little bit. They were up a little bit, but yeah. compared to 55%, not not much. Um, yeah, I saw this great quote because obviously there's comparisons here between First Republic Bank and SVB. And I think it was Dan Primack in his uh, Axios newsletter this morning said that SVB was idiosyncratic, but uh, First Republic is systemic. And so those two things, meaning that SVB was probably predicated by social media played this huge, huge role. VCs were kind of uh, in, inspiring fueling fear, the bank run. fueling the bank run. And then First Republic was more just like a systemic reaction to rising interest rates. And so that's why we saw it handled this way, maybe a little less fanfare around it, I guess. And so we're kind of seeing like the dominoes start falling from SVB. And so that's why this did feel like a much less stressful yeah. version of SVB. And it happened overnight on the weekend. Yeah, and they this- got it done before the US markets opened. Uh, I wanted them to get it done last night so I could you know, go to bed at a relatively good hour, but I finished the newsletter this morning when this came out. But my, the- my takeaway here is the rich are getting richer because of the banking crisis, or I don't know if it's a crisis, but the turmoil. This is what people expected kind of when the- all the banks started teetering. They were like, okay, well, all of the big guys are gonna come in and absorb all of them. And that's kind of exactly what's happened. You mentioned First Citizens collecting the scraps of SVB. Then you had New York Community Bank snatching up the the assets of Signature Bank. And then UBS absorbed Credit Credit Suisse, which was its crosstown rival. And all of these were government brokered and just make the big banks getting much bigger. And JP Morgan has done this for centuries. Right. And also they sweeten the deal too, which is, I mean, it's to be expected because again, First Republic Bank was it had a black mark. It was a black sheep of the industry. But so the FDIC provided $50 billion in additional financing to J.P. Morgan. And they also have a loss sharing agreement on some of its commercial loans and mortgage loans. So, again, not only are the rich getting richer, but they got subsidized in the process yeah, right. to incentivize them to make this deal. J.P. Morgan is the biggest bank in the United States. And it only became that way because in 2008, it bought Washington Mutual, which is the biggest banking failure in U.S. history, and Bear Stearns. And so it's through these kind of last ditch, last ditch acquisitions that J.P. Jamie Dimon has kind of built his empire uh, and he's defending it being like, I'm I'm being super patriotic. The U.S. has asked me to come in and step up and I'm doing that. And then you have the critics who are just like, this guy is such an opportunity. He's coming in and building his bank on the backs of failed other failed banks. Right. I call it the LVMH of the banking sector now. We're going to wake up in a few years and JP Morgan's going <laughs> to own every single bank. Uh, <laughs> Could be. Yeah. Definitely worried about consolidation. Um, let's move on. You know the drill. So every few weeks, another social media app pops up and the media goes, now this. This could be the one that finally takes down Twitter. This is the hot stuff. There was Mastodon, there was Substack Notes, and the latest Twitter killer du jour is called Blue Sky. And it seems like everyone on the internet was talking about Blue Sky last week after celebs like AOC, Drill, and Chrissy Teigen joined the platform. It's not that big of a switch because Blue Sky was created as a side project of Twitter and was funded by none other than Mr. Blue Sky himself, the Twitter co-founder Jack Dorsey. 
Uh, so people who live on social media are saying Blue Sky is a pretty solid un alternative that actually feels the most like Twitter and has the same kind of energy, so they're pretty excited. But it's only invite only right now and is in beta mode, so there's just a few thousand people on it. Yeah, it is this thing where we have this outsized echo chamber of the because the people who are joining it are these very terminally online people, politicians, newsletter writers, journalists. So we are hearing about Blue Sky because those are the type of people yeah. who write about these things. So yeah, it's much smaller in comparison. But yeah, its big selling point is this idea of it's a decentralized social media platform. So Jack Dorsey originally started it because he wanted to run Twitter on this mm -hmm. protocol because his big thing is that you have these silos. If Say you have your Facebook friends. You can't take your Facebook profile and port it over to Twitter. Right. And he said that's a ridiculous amount of power that these social media platforms have. So he kind of wanted to give you the power to control your following list, your, your entire profile basically. And essentially, if other social media companies started running their companies on this AT protocol, you could just port over your, your yeah. profile to any place. So that's like the general philosophical idea behind it. Um, the, the comparison is email. Right. That, that, that's what they use. They say like Google and Yahoo kind of set up their own rules and Hotmail, I guess, or I don't know, but <laughs> Outlook, Microsoft, they set their own rules for their platform. But, you know, I can email you if I'm a Google, Gmail user and you're an Outlook user just fine. And they, this, that's sort of the comparison that you can use these so, like decentralized social media networks in, the, in a very similar way. Yeah. And then another cool thing about Blue Sky is it offers algorithmic choice, which is you can customize the algorithm to suit your needs. Because so many people get so mad at, remember when the Instagram algorithm changed when you yeah. it stopped going chronological. So this gives you the opportunity to tweak your algorithm into a place that you like. Uh, feels a little like choice paralysis. You know what I mean? When yeah. people are faced with so many choices, they just want to, you know, they don't want to make their own decisions and something like tweaking my own social media algorithm or porting over my profile from one social media company to the next sounds like so much work, more than the average person yeah. is going to do. So it feels like this is for like super internet nerds right now. For sure. And then I truly think the only reason why people join social media networks is because their friends are there. And so that's rule number one. They don't really join for any decentralized protocol or mm -hmm. anything like that. And then the reason that they stay on social media networks is because they're entertained when they open the app. So those two things are still the most important things to nail for Blue Sky. It can do all this pontificating. It can invite yeah. all these famous people. But unless it can get you, your friends, and your friend group there, and then also just provide a good experience once you open the app... I think it might just just fade away like every other one. We'll but see. Before we, we go, we got to talk about Jack Dorsey saying it all went south for Musk. Yeah. So he used to, he called Musk the singular solution to take over Twitter last year. And then writing on Blue Sky on Friday, he said it all went south and it basically bashed Musk and said he should have walked away from the deal. I know. He did He did his 180. We, poor, poor Jack Dorsey. Can't win. Um, okay, let's move on to ChatGPT. It's been a minute since yeah, we talked about ChatGPT. Sure. So obviously there's always things to talk about when it comes to AI. So let's do a little talking. Um, so we stumbled across a bunch of interesting stories related to OpenAI's large language model ChatGPT. So here's your roundup of the latest developments. Up first, people are using ChatGPT to help them negotiate raises in the workplace. So the answers that ChatGPT are providing to these questions are actually pretty solid. So a career coach kind of took a took a look at what 
ChatGPT said when you asked them, hey, I want to raise, what should I do? And so some of the steps it recommends are, one, research industry salaries, two, review your achievements, three, understand your company's financials, and four, practice. So again, this is not (laughs) (laughs) mind-blowing stuff, but I just think this is interesting that people are seeing ChatGPT as kind of this voice of authority. They can easily Google this information, but for some reason having this disembodied AI tell you what to do, it's comforting to people in a way. Maybe it's because they don't have to sort through all the different links and decide which is verifiable, you know, that you would get on Google and which are verifiable and which are just trash. Yeah. And, you know, ChatGPT is the one source of truth and you ask it a question and it gives you the answer right away and you don't have to go searching for it. Yeah, it's like an, it's a, an advice column in your in your pocket so yeah. i can see why it's appealing um and i obviously i've started to do it sometimes where you just ask it for maybe you have a hunch about something but you just want them to confirm it and chat is like great for for doing that so. what happens when a chat negotiates your raise against a boss's chat GPT. <laughs> there's some sort of equilibrium that's reached yeah no one i, I guess nothing happens or you both win You're, you both win that's what they should be programmed exactly. for exactly all right neil what's up next all right uh i will go into this bedside manner uh research so according to new a new study chat gpt might be more empathetic than people which depending on who you talk to on a daily basis might be surprising or not really that surprising so these findings have to do with a doctor's bedside manner or how doctors interact with patients in this study both human doctors and chat gpt answered medical questions from an online forum and were graded for their empathy and quality of answer by a human panel without knowing whether a human or the bot wrote the responses the panel preferred chat gpt's responses 79 percent of the time and 45 percent of chat gpt answers were rated empathetic or very empathetic compared with just five percent of doctors replies so yes it seems a bot was considered far more empathetic than a human doctor this made a ton of sense to me because doctors are stretched so thin like you can't physically be empathetic with every single interaction you have with patients i'm i'm trying to cut doctors some slack here because they're they're only humans so it makes sense that a bot with no real burdens of of everyday existence are going to be a little bit more polite and a little bit more careful with their wording than like doctors who see hundreds of patients a day. Yeah. So, but it, it was interesting to see just how big that number was. Like it was overwhelmingly. Yeah. 45 to five people. Prefer and they question the quality metric too. And they're saying that this study doesn't mean that ChatGPT is going to be your doctor now, but that doctors could use ChatGPT to draft summaries or, you know, the communications to patients that might make them sound right. a little bit more less awkward. Uh, that is our AI roundup. Of course, we could always talk about it every yes. week, but those are the ones that stood out to us this week. Um, okay, that's the first half of our show. Before we jump into our next story, we're going to take a quick break. All right, it's time for us to choose our winners of the weekend. I'll go first. Uh, I've got a heartwarming story from baseball. Drew Maggie is an infielder in the Pittsburgh Pirates system who played 13 years in the minor leagues, toiling away, right? Minor league baseball is not fun to play in. You don't earn that much. You're traveling a super grueling schedule. You're not making that much. Uh, You don't have potential to be, you know, to be a major leaguer oftentimes. 
But um, Maggie got called up to the show last week for the Pittsburgh Pirates, and he recorded his first major league hit on Saturday, which is just cool because the whole crowd got behind him. Uh, his whole team got behind him. The, his parents were there. I think this, the parents always gets me so yeah. emotional. So it, it was it was super special. But the clock struck midnight uh, on Maggie's Cinderella story because he was sent back <laughs> To the minor league. Oh, that's and brutal. May, he's probably just not that good. Yeah. Wait, <laughs> how old is he? I think in mid-30s, upper-30s. Uh, you got to love a story like it's this. Great. Yeah. And, I mean, we were watching the video of him getting the hit for the first time. It is electric. Like, you yeah. can just see it's a culmination of so many years of hard, hard work. Even if it was just one magical night, I think it's worth it for him. Just receive word, he is 33 years old. 33 so he's years been, old. So he's been down there for a long time. There's not that many, you know, 30 mid-30s players in the minor leagues because they're like, I'm done with this. This <laughs> is terrible. Good for him. That's a good winner. Uh, my winner of the weekend is, I think it's been a previous winner of the weekend, but that is Super Mario's Bros. movie. It's officially the first film of the year to cross the $1 billion milestone at the global box office. So it's grossed $490 million in North America and $532 million internationally. Pretty balanced, honestly, across the two. Um, and it joins the $1 billion Pandemic Club, which are the movies that have reached the 1 billion mark since the pandemic began. And that is Spider-Man No Way Home, Marvel. Top Gun Maverick, great movie. (laughs) Jurassic World Dominion, not that great of a movie. (laughs) And then, of course, Avatar The Way of Water. Um, So honestly, if you kind of look at who this movie appeals to, it makes sense. It's what's known in the movie biz as a four-quadrant blockbuster, which means it hits male and female and young and old. So Super Mario Bros. Yeah. Like you, it, it's a juggernaut that can't be stopped. It's a juggernaut. I've not seen it. Neither have I. We're the only two people. I know. What's also funny is that, so it, I listed those movies. Uh, Chris Pratt is in Jurassic yeah. Dominion, and Chris Pratt is also the voice of Mario in the Mario movie. So Everyone's saying that there is no movie star these days, that it's kind of Tom Cruise is the last one, but maybe Chris Pratt. Maybe Chris Pratt. There you go. Um, okay, Neil, I mentioned it at the top of the show, but we're going to talk about the Met Gala. It is tonight, and I think our invitations must have been lost in the mail because I, we're not on the guest list. No. Ridiculous. I, I'm blaming hair and makeup for that. Um, but the Met is always this big event uh, in the fashion world where you just have so many uh, famous people yeah. concentrated in one place. So obviously people are going to talk about it. It's going to make headlines. Uh, is there a designated survivor? <laughs> like a of designated celebs. celebrity survivor. There's so many in one place. Yeah, I wish I... Like, I. I think Blake Lively isn't going, so she's going to run the celebrity country <laughs> if uh, you know someone takes out the Met tonight. There you go. Um, so let's just give a brief rundown of just how big this event it, event is in terms of monetary value. So tickets to this this year's edition will set you back fifty grand, with a table coming in at. 300,000. So that's actually higher than last year's numbers, which shows inflation, inflation. hits us all. Um, and so the guest list is curated by Anna Wintour, who is the editor in chief of Vogue. She's in charge of throwing this massive fundraiser just to show how much money this brings in. Last year's edition made $17 million for this, for this, uh, for the Met, raised for the Met. And the other spring gala that the Met throws raised just $2.6 million. So it truly is. She's turned this into this yeah, massive juggernaut. event, absolute charitable juggernaut. Um, 
And it's only exploded because of social media. Like the memes are insane. Yeah. And tonight when people start coming out on the red carpet, your social media feed, just a just a heads up, will be absolutely inundated with memes from whatever crazy dress. Right. So there's always a theme. And so some of the themes I honestly remember uh, was camp in yeah. 2016 where Jared Leto came in carrying a version of his own head in his arm yep. just over the top. And then also there was heavenly bodies where Rihanna dressed as the Pope. So there's always this crazy over-the-top theme. This year's theme is a uh, in memoriam for Carl Lagerfeld, who is this controversial designer. He was at the helm of brands like Fendi, Chloe, Chanel, and just kind of like this absolute juggernaut in the high fashion scene. Yeah, we he really said some weird things. Yeah, he's a, definitely a controversial figure. Like he's been at war against PETA for a, for a long time. Uh, this is a really funny anecdote where. PETA tried to pie him at a fashion show, which th which means throwing tofu pies at him. They actually missed him and accidentally hit Calvin Klein instead. <laughs> and they put out a statement saying, like, that was not intentional. He was just friendly fire. So, yeah, PETA, he's he's had some fat phobic comments, too, yeah. where he kind of referred to his Adele as overweight. Uh -huh. But his big thing was that his controversial persona was always an act and that he was just doing it to drum up. I'm just pumped for his cat, Choupette, who has a nanny and two maids, her own agent, a skincare collab. And Lagerfeld has said, in my life, my, my priority is Choupette and then everything else. <laughs> so everyone's looking for this cat. That is the biggest thing, whether this cat, a cat has not walked the red, red carpet in Met history. That is some good stats right there. A dog did, though, I think last year, a little golden retriever. So this might be the first year we see a We'll cat. see if Choupette shows up. Uh, what else to watch this week? Let's get into that to finish off the show. Uh, tonight, there could be a potential writer's strike. So TV and film writers in Hollywood could strike today for the first time in 15 years if they they don't agree to a contract with major studios. Uh, this is everything to do with how streaming has upended the uh, TV and film biz. And uh, it would take a lot to play out, but it would impact news-oriented TV programs immediately. Uh, so, for example, there won't be a Late Late Show with James Corden tomorrow. But not which this is one. Sad. We, we, we do our own writing here. So this we will be at We'll be here. Yes. Uh, we have the Fed meeting with inflation still ripping. Uh, the Federal Reserve is expected to announce its 10th straight interest rate at the conclusion of its meeting on Wednesday. It could pause after this because it's already toppled three banks in the yeah. past eight weeks. We have earnings, Apple, Starbucks, Ford, and 160 other S&P 500 companies. Uh, so stay tuned for some juicy nugs. <laughs> we'll have some for you that later this week. So far, so good for um, most of the companies that have reported earnings. We have a coronation coming up of King Charles III. He'll be the 40th monarch crowned in England since 1066. They love their events. They love their coronations. They love their weddings. It's it's a big deal. It's going to be a little toned down than the one in last one in 1953 for Queen Elizabeth II. But most importantly, they're not stopping Premier League. That is on Saturday. Huge. That's big for us. Yeah. Uh, let's go down. What else this week? Uh, May the fourth be with you on Thursday. Uh, Cinco de Mayo is on Friday, so a lot of cultural appropriation going on then. Uh, and then we have Kentucky Derby is on Saturday. Total bucket list uh, event. And then the second rounds of the NHL and NBA playoffs are all on this week. Sands Bruins. What a week! I'm excited. All right, uh, that is our show. Uh, thanks for joining us on this Monday. We'll be here all week. Maybe talking to writers strike tomorrow if they do. Uh, you can always reach us at Morning Brew Daily at morningbrew.com. Let's roll these credits. Thanks to everyone in our control studio. 
that the right word? Control room. Control room. <laughs> We're in the studio. Our show's producer and editor is Emily Milliron. Our technical director is Yuchenna Waugu. Uh, Sam Velas and Raymond Liu are assistant producers or associate producers. Billy Menino is on audio. Hair and makeup got called in by Chupet for some last minute fur work. Devin Emery is our chief content officer and our show is a production of Morning Brew. Great show today, Neil. Let's run it back tomorrow.